Welcome to a new episode of Book Lovers Companion. Joining me via Skype for this episode is Jessie Mitchell, also known as Chess Writer. She's an avid reader and writer of fan fiction and author of three original novels with a fourth in the making. So, thanks for agreeing to this chat. Sure thing. Welcome to Book Lovers Companion. Thank you for having me here. I feel honored. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I had another interview only last week. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, with another author. She's also from the United States, but she lives in Brussels. Ah, well, that's great. Yeah, I, I listened to a few of your interviews so I could get a feel for it. Okay, I hope you liked them. I know we have a mutual friend. Yes, we oh, do. Of course I did. <laughs> um, and, and we have a mutual friend, C.A. Farlow. So. Yes, it was a great pleasure talking to her. I know, and I've known her for a long time. Uh, you also mentioned in our Twitter messaging back and forth that we had a conversation online. And for the life of me, I'm so sorry, I can't remember that. It's so embarrassing, actually. It's okay. You know, <laughs> that's all right. I, you know, it's funny. Um, because I write fan fiction, I, sometimes a person's name will stick in my head. And so I recognized your name. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. So my question, uh, my first question uh, already tackles fan fiction. Sure. Because I presume, okay, I presume that you started out as a reader of fan. I did. Of fan fiction. And then you became a writer. When did that turn? When did you turn from a reader to a writer? So I discovered fan fiction about the year 2000, Xena the Warrior Princess, you know, which is, I guess, a lot of people started out that way. And um, several years later, I saw a contest for a first time writer through a Star Trek Voyager fandom website. So I decided to take a crack at it. And that was around 2006. And I just kept writing after that, found some good betas. And I've, I've had so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It is uh, fun reading, and it is fun writing, actually. Uh, because yes. yeah, in in in, uh, in my German podcast, I also mentioned that I started with writing fan fiction. A friend of mine actually said it was an interesting thing you said that because I've never considered doing such a thing. Because if I don't like a show or if I don't like what happens to the characters, I just yeah, that's it. But I've never considered writing my own ending. Yes, that's the great fun of fan fiction is changing the endings or or writing the wrongs yeah <laughs> we like to do that quite a bit and you get to play you get to play in their playground which is the fun part you don't have to create all the world building you don't have to do the the characterizations people know all of that so you can just run with that yeah exactly that's what i also liked about it because you have you have already there the whole world for example with voyager and such mm -hmm. and all you have to do is take the characters and make them your own and play mm -hmm. with them yes And I certainly love doing that, you know, and, and actually whenever fans are outraged by what's occurring in a show or what happened in a movie or whatever it is, a, a book, you, they just go and they just, they change it, they make it better. And people love that and give, they give other possible writers ideas too to play with. Mm. And it sometimes also develops into books, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Lost Treasures uh, was originally, originally a Devil Wears Prada book. And then, um, 
we eventually made it into original fiction. And I, I think it worked pretty well. It, it's hard because when you're creating rig, original fiction out of fan fiction, you have to take away all of those identifying markers from the fan fiction uh, and, and make it your own and change some of the characteristics, obviously. But you want to keep some of the tropes because that's what draws people in. That's true, because otherwise you have you would have some problems, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. There's copyright issues all over the place, for one thing. So you can keep the tropes, but if you keep their actual characters or their their sayings that everyone recognizes, then uh, then you could be stepping on other people's toes. You can't do that. And again, fan fiction, you do know, of course, Melissa Good. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> one, one of the fan fiction writers. And what I found amazing, right. yeah, what I found amazing about her was the fact that she was invited to write for Cena, actually. Yeah, right. I remember when that happened and I couldn't even believe it. And it must have been a dream come true for her, truly, because, you know, how often does that happen? Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, your work gathers so much momentum that people take notice and say, hey, yeah, why don't you just come right for us then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was awesome. And we're not talking about Fifty Shades here. No, we're not. Please don't. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another question I've been thinking about for you was, what is the most difficult aspect of writing and of being an author? What would you say is the most difficult part? Well, the first well, the first thing I'd say is finding the time, really, because I, I'm sure you know many writers, they're unable to work, to write full time. They have to have a day job, something to support them and fall back on. And I fall in that category. So I have work and I have my family and my family is very active and we're doing something all the time. So finding or carving out time to actually write and have that time be meaningful is probably my toughest challenge when it comes to it. Mm, yeah. yeah and, I can relate to that. Yeah. And if I was going to say a second challenge, it would be finding people who are willing to tell you honestly uh, whether your writing's any good. <laughs> yeah. because, you know, because I have a lot of people that they would read my rough drafts, but um, they'll just say, oh, it's wonderful. It's great. You've done it again. But that's not really what I want. You know, I need someone to say, yeah, but this, this part doesn't really work. Or maybe you should expand on this. Or this doesn't even fall into line with the rest of the book. I don't get that a lot, you know. So I, I did have one person who did that for me for a number of years, and unfortunately, she's not betaing anymore. Uh, but I loved it. I mean, she was brutal, and <laughs> she would just come right out, and uh, she was right. She was on the money every single time because if I didn't change that section, my publisher or my editor would come back and say the same thing eventually. Hmm. So I really like that. And, you know, even when it comes to publishers and editors, they only put so much time into your work. I mean, obviously, a publisher is not going to publish your book if they don't feel it's ready. But with an editor through a publishing company, usually they have two swipes at it. So they're going to be very judicial with what they choose to focus on. And because of that, they can miss things, too, you know, just like any yeah. of us can. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's a, a different challenge. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also a difficult job for an editor. Being an editor is also, I would say, a challenging job because in the recent years, I would say, I've read a lot of books from big publishing houses and I've mm -hmm. always found some some errors and mistakes. And I think mm -hmm. maybe it's because there isn't enough time. There's a lot of work, but not enough time to give the right amount of care to a book. 
Yeah, they do have deadlines that they have to stick to. So that's definitely true. I mean, I had one book. I feel like I could have used more feedback on one section and I didn't get it. So luckily I had gotten it from someone else who wasn't paid to do this. But uh, again, that's putting a lot of pressure on people who are doing it purely to help you out and not because it's their job. And I I guess I feel like an editor should be really conscious of what they're focusing on. I've seen um, a lot of editors, they'll focus on three main parts. And um, and sometimes they'll just miss the boat on something because of that. They'll just, uh, you know, say, OK, we're going to work on these three parts. And I'm like, well, you know, if you had done an overall uh, review instead of just picking three main parts, this might have been more cohesive later on. I think that's probably the hardest part for a writer is uh, letting it go eventually, because then, you know, later on, you're looking at it maybe after you've written another book or you've learned some more of your craft and you're like, oh, I wish someone had pointed this out to me in my last book or two books ago, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, in your case, what would you say, how difficult was it for you to find a publisher and also the right publisher for you? Well, I'll tell you what, I was pretty fortunate because I fell into it. Um, I wasn't even thinking that I would become a published author. I was firmly entrenched in writing fan fiction, very happy with it. Um, but my friend, C.A. Farlow, she uh, asked me to beta her first novel and um in as a thank you, she offered to introduce me to the publisher, Lee Fitzsimmons, which is through Desert Palm Press. And it turned out that Lee knew me. She knew me through my fan fiction, and my, my name is Jazz Writer. So she knew me through that. She had actually commented on several of my writings over the years, and um, she was on board with helping me to, um, to change the Lost Treasures into an original book. And from there, I just stuck with Lee, and now I've done three books working on the next. So it's worked out pretty well for me. I've been very fortunate because I know many, many struggling writers who cannot find a publishing house where they can land. And the fact is, most of these publishing houses are independent, small Uh, publishing houses so there's costs involved and there's a risk when they when they bring in a new writer and and there's a learning curve you know they have to kind of take you under their wing and teach you their way of doing things Um, and there's there's quite a learning curve there on both sides I think. Uh, my co-host on the German podcast said he believes that uh, publishing houses are interested in molding the authors like you said, to form them. I don't think that's true when it comes to the independent um, public publishing houses. I think they will mold you and will help you to some extent. You have to have the talent and you have to have a craft. You have to have worked on it to some extent. And then they're willing to bring you to the fun, finish line. You know, But I mean, if you're really raw, they're probably not going to invest all that time and money into you. But yeah, from what I've seen, they I think they're willing to take chances. The smaller independent houses, I wouldn't say the larger Uh, publishing houses. I don't think they they care to do that for you at all. Um, I, I don't want to name names. I can think of a few publishing houses in particular that would not take the time to help you out. But, you know, I'm good friends with a, a publisher, not the one I'm at, not Lee, but another publishing house. And she insists that she sits down with all of her authors at least once to go over what their project is and how they're going to do it. Um, she likes hands-on teaching. She will teach her writers uh, when they need certain aspects of their craft to be worked on. So, yeah, from what I've seen, actually, 
I think that the the smaller houses are willing to put the time in with these writers. Mm. And also with your books, how much influence do you have over your cover art for your books? Is it completely out of your hand or do you have some say in it? That's a good question. Actually, I have a lot of influence. We start out with... Uh, every book, once I send in my manuscript, I get a document I fill out and it's for the cover art. So I put in it what the themes are. I put in examples of covers I like, font that I like. Um, and uh, that way and, and it gets sent to the cover artist who then generates three covers, three different types of covers and then sends them to me and I look into it and I decide what I like best. And so doesn't the publisher and we come to an agreement. Well, for Lost Treasures, you know, that I never would have thought of that cover. It's a very distinct cover. And um, for my last one, for You Matter, I actually, when they sent it to me, I picked the the, the background uh, and the main um, art from one uh, cover that was sent to me, but the font from a different cover. So you can combine, you can say, hey, I like this, but I don't like that. And they'll work with you. So I actually have a lot of say in that. Uh, and I know for the larger publishing houses, you don't get a say at all. So so I'm glad that I, that I have some say in it. I love all of my covers. It's good to know because uh, yeah. I would say the cover plays a vital role in getting your book picked up by a reader. Right, exactly. You have to catch their attention, definitely. Um, visually, I mean, yeah, there's so many books out, out there. You need to get them to, to you gotta catch their, their eye somehow. So. Yeah. That cover is very important. And have you ever considered self-publishing? Yeah, I did. Um, and I know many people who do. And I just, um, I feel like I don't know enough about the copy editing um, to really be able to do it well. Like I've seen self-published books that the the story might be great, but the way it's presented is horrible. You know, like double, instead of single uh, lines, it's double. So it's like, double the pages instead of mm. the way it should be typeset, mm. um, you know, just indentations and things like that. Now, I know more, of course, after uh, having several books with Desert Palm Press, um, I know how they need it set up. So I have learned, but I just don't know that I'd want to do the back end if I don't need to at this point. As for advertising, it's basically the same. I mean, I, I get the publishing house to do some advertising, but I'm doing most of it myself. So I have learned that. I'm happy with my publishing house, so I don't think I would want to change unless there's a reason to. And maybe if I had to change for some reason, I might give a stab at self-publishing. But right now, there's really no need. Mm, it's no question of self-publishing at the moment for you. Yeah, yeah. It's not, e economically speaking, I don't think it would really change much as far as what's going on. I think that because my publishing house has a, a following and we actually have some wonderful authors who are award winning. And because of that, we have so much traffic that comes through this publishing house. And that would probably make up for the back end where I might be making more money self-publishing. And how would you describe your writing process? Because that would be the next question from publishing to writing to the creation yeah, of, right. your, of your work. Would you say you are the messy writer or are you the well-organized writer? Because I'm, uh -huh. I'm in between. Right. I try to be organized. <laughs> I, I start with tons of research for whatever plot points I plan to write. So for my current work in progress, which is called Undertow, it's about a career politician who plans to run for the presidency and, and has to write a memoir in order to kick off the presidential bid. 
well, I need a refresher on local and national politics. I needed um, information on how long the terms are, what a good political trajectory looks like, um, how far ahead of announcing a presidential run one would write a memoir. <laughs> so lots and lots of details. And most of it will never make it to the page. But I know that information now. And that's what makes a difference in the timeline and uh, making sure I don't have conflicting information and or anything like that. Anything that sounds false or doesn't sound authentic. I want to make sure that doesn't happen. I write the outline for the book. I write chapter summaries. I write character summaries, in-depth analysis. I include information on the backgrounds, the quirks, the challenges, character growth arcs, their ages, relatives, friends, anything I can think of that I might need to know and whatever might be important. I write name variations because names are really important. And as a matter of fact, I had a real problem with my protagonist. I didn't like her name. And for months, I'm, I was writing one name and I'm thinking, I don't like this name. I have to change this name. So it wasn't until last week I figured out the right name. You know, it's almost like I had to spend time with my character to figure out, okay, this is the right name for this character. So I do all of that. Uh, and then once I feel pretty confident about all that stuff, uh, I start writing the book and I ignore most of what I wrote. So I, it, you know, because now I'm writing it uh, and I start writing the chapter and I have to rewrite my chapter summaries as I go along. I have to rewrite my timeline as I go along because my characters end up going in different directions. And I have to kind of reverse engineer what I have in all my outlines so I can keep track. Because the worst thing you can do is start writing uh, and then forget the little details. You know, those will come back at some point. And you can't do that. So I guess the bottom line is I try to be a plotter and I end up being a pantser. <laughs> I just, you know, I try to be organized, but it just doesn't work out for me. Yeah, uh, it's happy. <laughs> It happens sometimes that you get a bit lost in all the in all yeah, the research, yeah. and sometimes, like you said, you you have a lot of research and tons of of notes, and you only use it for let's say a line, and that's it. Right. And people yeah, don't. Yeah, but that line's important. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. But people or readers don't realize how much work went into this short line, for example. Right. Oh, and it's so true because the thing is, if you don't do the research, if you're just flying by the seat of your pants and say, "Yeah, no one really cares." Well, if you write something in there and it conflicts with modern knowledge uh, it's going to throw your reader right out of the story they're not going to they're going to know right away so you can't do that you can't do the shortcuts yeah, and some, something it, it also reminds me of something uh, one of the authors at Crime Fest in Bristol said she's also a meticulous researcher and she writes historic crime novels and she said okay this organization she was talking about her latest book uh, it was about cycling clubs and, mm. and she said it, this one didn't exist there in this part of London but it could have existed and it's all that uh, matters right right and that's true too because you know I'll, I'll write in certain states and I'll make up stuff <laughs> but it has to be plausible <laughs> you know like restaurants they go to or you know how they get from A to B you don't want to get too specific either because it bogs down the story because then readers can point out yes but that's not true what she wrote there it doesn't even exist exactly. or it, it has different opening hours or what whatever Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can put certain landmarks in there, that's always fun. People love that. Um, so I will do that. And, uh, you know, that's more research, though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> 
Yeah, of course, definitely. And how and where do you get your ideas for your stories or your characters? Let's say, are they based on some real people or certain character traits based on some real people? Ah, well, I get my ideas everywhere. And I've warned loved ones that anything they say or do might show up in one of my stories. So <laughs> I tend to write contemporary romances and I prefer to write about attorneys because I'm one. Many times something will strike me a certain way and I'll imagine a scene or a person and I'll write it down. I have paper everywhere with scribbled notes, which I'll then gather together when I go to start a project. And uh, and I'll think, how can I put this little thing that I saw or that struck me into a story uh, and and that's how it emerges so I really it can be anything and I'll start writing something and either it will gain traction or it won't if it gains traction it can turn into part of the story and it will evolve if it doesn't gain traction if I don't have enough there to really flesh out it might turn into a fan fiction story <laughs> so you know it's kind of like taking pictures so sometimes you capture a moment perfectly and other times you block it you block it with your finger uh, in front of the lens right or you might believe you're capturing the best moment ever but when you look at the picture later, you see it's no good. So at that point, you make a decision whether you keep working on it or you just slash and burn. So yeah, I, I get it from everywhere and anywhere and any person. It could be a stranger. It can be uh, a loved one. could be something that happened in my life. could not be. So in Lost, Lost Treasures? No. In Musings of a Mad Woman, I have a scene where someone is watching uh, an actor perform on Broadway. And she at the end, she gives him a dozen roses. And uh, that's something that actually happened in my life so that was oh. fun to kind of to explore that and then throw it in there with these characters instead yeah it was great yeah. and have you ever thought of changing the genre because you write romance novels right ha have you ever considered doing something different let's say a crime novel well you know what i do is um i do blended stories which are a hard sell by the way but um musings of a mad woman it's a uh, contemporary romance but it also has paranormal influences in it and can be characterized under it and um, You Matter had thriller thriller aspects to it because there's a, a shooting or a, a mass shooting that takes place so there's that so I, I usually blend I haven't really gone into the other categories because I don't feel I have uh, a next, enough expertise to really do that to switch into another lane yet and maybe at some point you know but not yet <laughs> who knows what the future brings yeah who knows <laughs> That's right. And what about you as a reader? Do you have, aside from, from fan fiction, of course, do you have any favorite genres or one genre in particular? Or are you just an eclectic reader? Mm. You know what? I read what my friends write. <laughs> so I've, I've, <laughs> I've made a lot of great relationships with other lesbian writers over the years, gone to their different writing conferences, like the Golden Crown National, I mean, the Golden Crown or um, there's the Left Coast Lesbian Conferences in California each year. And then there are smaller uh, organizations that I'm part of where I live in Oregon in the U.S. So we end up trading off books, you know, we'll buy each other's books to support each other. And I read their books and they're great. So, I, you know, I've learned a lot just from my peers. And I, I actually joined a couple years ago um, a lesbian book club so that I could fill in my education 
education for older books and books I normally wouldn't read, like, as you say, a crime or murder mystery mm-hmm. or something like that. So over time, that's what I've done. And, um, you know, it's been a great education. I always feel like I don't know enough when it comes to writing. And I, I think the best way to get better at writing is to read other people's books. So that's what I've been doing. And just as much as I can, I can't really say I'm a favorite. You know, I mean, I guess it really just depends who I'm reading at the time, because I appreciate their craft and more so as I keep writing and see what's coming out. I just think that there are so many talented individuals out there. So, um, you know, I, I could ramble off a bunch of names, but the truth is there there's so many out there and I'm just grateful to have formed relationships with so many of them. And you said these conventions or conferences and do they also mm-hmm. bring you in contact with writers from Europe or Canada or South yeah. America? I don't know. Right. Uh, Australia. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I've Yeah, I've met a lot of people over time uh, from around the world. And you know what? That, again, it goes back to fan fiction. And it's funny that so many people don't even know what fan fiction is. Yeah. But that's how I really started learning uh, about cultural differences and mm. uh, word differences and, you know, phrases <laughs> and jargon that people wouldn't understand. So if I'm writing about The Devil Was Prouder, I'm writing usually about New York City. Yeah. And there are a lot of differences between New York City and, and England or, you know, or, uh, you know, wherever uh, someone is reading it from. Vienna. So, yes, Vienna, right? Uh, and so it's fun because you'll see that, uh, that culture shock at times, definitely. I've seen that uh, humor is very different in America mm-hmm. than or in the U.S. and in other places in the world. I was talking to a friend from England the other day and she was saying that American humor is cleaner and I thought that was really funny I didn't understand <laughs> I had no idea but she was saying that in England it's bodier or it's it's earthier I wouldn't say vulgar but definitely spicier mm. uh, in Europe than it is in America and I thought it was really funny because um, we were talking about swearing swearing and writing yeah. and I've read a lot of articles yeah. where older US readers they don't like it it's you know when they see the swearing in the books they think it's gratuitous but the newer the younger generations americans uh readers they prefer it they want the the expletives they want the grittiness and the authenticity that occurs through that they always want the violence the shock value the constant action um, the scarier, the better. No fading into black at all. Whereas Europeans, they like a, a nice murder mystery where you have to follow the tracks to figure out what happened. Americans, they just want to know right away. They 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 need to see it, and it needs to be fast, fast, fast. Mm. And a lot of explicitness. So I thought that was pretty funny. You know, actually, the other thing that I've seen that's been different is uh, in America the last few years, in particular, lesbian writers, U.S. lesbian writers, and I'm not saying this is happen throughout the world, but I've seen a market change where the female protagonist is much stronger um, and more intelligent and more complex, and they're not second-class citizens. They're not kind of pushed to the background. They don't need someone else to save them. They save themselves, and I love that trend. I think that's great. I write those type of protagonists. I want strong, intelligent, funny females as my leads in my stories. That's what makes the stories interesting. I would agree with you. So this more more or less, your answer more or less covered one of my questions because I was going to ask you about the differences between uh, Europe and the United States where authors uh, yeah. and audience are concerned. Could you point right. out certain differences or have you detected any 
let's say, for example, again with the audience? Right. You know, it's hard. It, it, it's kind of a tricky question, you know, because it's my perspective. And, you know, yeah, I, um, when I... <laughs> So, I, yeah, I mean, I do notice the differences. And um, again, I think it, a lot of it has to do with culture and it has to do with um, the phrasing. So, you know, the phrasing that I may use, especially because when I'm writing about someone from Massachusetts, Boston or from New York, they have certain ways of saying things. And that's very different than what you're going to read from other parts of the world. So it could be hard for a European reader to understand what I'm even saying. And that's tricky because I don't want to throw someone out of the story. I don't want them having to look up the jargon all the time, you know, but I do want to give them a flavor for where I'm writing and the type of the way that they speak and that sort of thing. So it's tricky. It's tricky. I think that's probably one of the differences though. It also reminded me of one thing I put in my book where I put my protagonists in a coffee house mm. and where one of them orders a coffee and it reminds me a bit of Germans. German tourists usually yeah. who order coffee. You can't just order coffee in Vienna. Right. It's, yeah. it's simply oh, not and, done. And see, that's not something people would know. You yeah. know? Or they call them coffee houses in uh, England, but they're really yeah. usually getting tea. Yeah. So it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it is different, yeah, those little things. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it depends because uh, we have this elderly lady and friend of ours. She's in her 80s yeah. and we invited her to some afternoon tea at Fortnum and Mason's. Mm -hmm. And she said, do you think it would be okay to order coffee? Because usually in the afternoons I drink coffee. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And, when you, and you just wouldn't even know that though, yeah. unless someone told you. Yeah, absolutely, because it was great for me because I don't drink tea. I'm the coffee person, so I thought, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and even little things like, uh, you know, um, we we would call um, a vacation and other places around the world, they call it a holiday. And we're like, well, a holiday is when you have a day off because of whatever, you know, Christmas or something. So uh, it can be a little confusing, just the type of terminology that you... Mm, that's what I talked about with Cynthia, I would say the British and the, Un the United States are divided by the same language. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I know. And, and I always, um, you know, I ha have friends who have had their books translated into other languages. And I always wonder about it if something gets lost in that translation. Definitely. You know? I mean, I, I would think so, yep. that it would. And yeah, I just agree. Just culturally. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said to Cynthia, it's a translation is an art form and yes. it takes a lot yes, of definitely. knowledge about the culture of country and language to get it right. And like you said, I, I also would say a lot gets lost in translation. Right. You know, like if uh, um, I, I have a, a company, I'm part of a company where we work with people around the world and our manuals get translated into different languages. Well, you know, the reason we didn't do it ourselves, unless we knew the language courses because you know if you're trying to do it through google translation or something it's not going to sound very good and just for fun sometimes we, we put a sentence in and translate it into say japanese and then translate that translation back into english it would say something entirely different like oh my god how can there's no way we could do it we need someone who knows the language and knows english well enough to do that translation and also knows the cultural differences between 
like I said, you can't ju just translate something in English. What do you mean by English? Do you mean British English? Do you mean American English? Do you mean right. Australian English? Yeah, that's a great point. It's Yeah, there are differences even between, you know, um, states within the United States, actually. <laughs> you know, the cultures are so varied and different, uh, and their slang, how they speak is very different. So even that is a challenge at times, never mind uh, English and, and around the world. And, you know, English is, is a language that many countries know, even though it's not their first language. Whereas the U.S. is not true. They, you know, we just so behind the ball on that with learning another language. So there's another way that we're behind as far as under how something translates. It just it, it holds us back. Whereas if, if you're learning English in, in another country where it's not your first language, you are you may still need to learn, of course, the, the intricacies, but you have a solid base at least where we don't have that. Yeah, I would like to think so, which is interesting because we had this teaching assistant when I went to school and mm -hmm. she was from the United States, I think from the East Coast, and she did study German at school. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, it was quite inter I mean, I, interesting yeah, because I, I never thought, so. why would you learn German? Well, why not? <laughs> I learned a couple of languages when I was in school, and um, I, I think it's always helped me. The more languages you learn, the better it is, I think. You can really figure things out. Um, and so I learned French and Latin, and uh, because of that, it's helped me throughout my life. I mean, knowing French has helped me know most of the romance languages so I know really you know not not just French I know Spanish and Portuguese and Italian and you know I can pick that out So, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know them because of Latin. That's because that's what my Latin teacher always says. It's the mother of all languages, at least the Roman ones. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's also true for German and also true, especially true for English, I think, because mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Most, of, most of the words in English are originated in Latin. So mm -hmm. it helps a lot to get to grasp the language. Yeah. yeah, I mean, English is a hard language anyway. So they kind of beg, borrowed and steal from a bunch of other languages. Mm, makes exactly. it very hard to learn yeah exactly <laughs> that's what I try to understand my, my students because they always think yeah, German is so hard no German is not that hard if you get over the first hurdle it gets easier English on the other mm -hmm. hand gets more difficult yeah it does actually yeah. I think you're right yeah once you learn the base of uh, German I think it's not that hard same yeah. with um, I think Dutch isn't that hard either so same sort of thing you just kind of once you get into it you see the consistency of the, the rules that apply. Yeah, true. So what's the next book that's coming out? You said right. there is a fourth one in the making. Yes, it's called Undertow. It's about a career politician um, from Massachusetts who is going to run for president. And uh, so she has to write a memoir to kick off her presidential bid. And she's told by the publisher, it can't just read like a resume. You know, it can't just be about her political right life. She needs to also write about her childhood, about her schooling, about her relationships, and in particular, about her romantic relationships. And this causes a lot of turmoil for her to be so vulnerable uh, and she kind of has to figure out what she's going to write about because she had a horrible uh, childhood, uh, you know, and she doesn't want to reveal that to the world, but she knows that it's going to come out anyways. You know, once you're running for the presidency, people are going to dig. So she might as well reveal it on in her own terms. So I'm, ha I'm having a lot of fun writing it. I'm actually going to write, 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 not do anything else, uh, 
not be uh, worried about things going on in life, my family, work. I can just sit with a bunch of other writers uh, and write for three days. I'm hoping, and we'll see how it works out, I'm hoping that will come out this summer, so we'll see. Okay, I'm looking forward to it because I've reread Lost Treasures. Oh, great, thank you. Before our chat, and I uh, have you met on my Kindle. Awesome, let me know how you like it. I will, I definitely will, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Do you have questions for me? Oh, when are you going to finish your fan fiction? <laughs> <laughs> of course you have to yes. ask the tricky ones. I don't know. I'm sorry, I have to say, uh, I don't know. I really don't. That's okay, I'm teasing you. I, and you know, it's funny because a lot of uh, writers who write fan fiction, they do chapter by chapter, and some of them, they never get finished. Others get finished years later, and I kind of have the rule that I don't I don't start posting until I finish because there were like two stories that I did as it went along I posted the chapters and it was so stressful just because everyone know when the next chapter was coming I'm like I haven't written it yet and uh, so now I don't even try and do it I just have to do the the finished product and then I start posting but so if you're not doing fan fiction do you think you'll write another book because I know you have one book out yes I think so I have a few ideas and I've written a few scenes and at least let's see one chapter it is a slow process because like you said as well there is work and uh, other things and the podcasts mm -hmm. hey Puck. now you do the podcast the uh, the english version but you also do it for german right yeah. Yeah. you do a german version yeah Yeah, so that will keep you busy. Yeah, definitely. And the German version started earlier than the English one. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, and we usually record three or four episodes, depends on how it goes. Mm -hmm. And then I do the editing, so I'm always a bit ahead. I don't have to worry about the next episode. And for the English one... We are at, I think, episode eight is online. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your having me. Yes, thank yes. you. Thank you for agreeing to do it. And if you can think of anyone else sure. who would like to talk to me, I would love to because I appreciate if people talk to me, if authors talk to me, and I would like to offer them a platform to promote their books. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I will certainly give you a list of names then because I know that writers, they want as much average advertising as they can get they want people to come and see what they're all about so definitely and i appreciate that i know they will too great looking forward to it all the best and have a nice day you too and a nice evening <laughs> thank you okay bye bye i hope you enjoyed our lively conversation and we'll meet again at book lovers companion